that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Welcome to Is That Really in the Bible? Question, is drinking alcohol a sin? You know, a lot of people would say, oh, absolutely, it's, it's a terrible sin, it's a rotten sin, drinking alcohol. But what's really in the Bible? That's the question we want to ask today. Now, it seems like it's only in America that there is this stigma against alcohol. And it might be a valid reason for that. But if you were to, let's say, go to other countries like uh, the French who drink wine at every meal, give their children wine to drink. You know, in other countries, you don't have this stigma with alcohol like you do here in America. Now, maybe one of the reasons for the stigma is because there's so much, uh, um, maybe so many drunks or so many uh, people drinking and driving. I'll never forget the time that I saw a bumper sticker that said, my son was killed by a drunk driver. Oh man, I tell you, my heart went out to that person. I thought, how terrible, how, how, how gross this is, how pitiful this is. So maybe the stigma in America against uh, drinking is very valid and, and needs to be there. But you don't see that stigma in other countries. In other words, if we see a person buying a uh, coming out of the liquor store or buying a carton of beer, we think, oh boy, look at that. I bet that's a drunk. That's a sinner right there. Sort of the way we think, you know. But I want to tell you a little story about a wedding feast where Jesus turned water into wine. Now, this was actually the first miracle that Jesus did. He turned water, get this, listen, he turned water into wine. Now, how do I know it was wine? Well, because that's the definition of the word. The word uh, is, the Greek word is oinos, the uh, original Hebrew the definition of that word is wine as fermented, uh, by implication, intoxication. In other words, the word means what it says. Now, don't, don't, don't go there with the grape juice thing. That's not what the word means. Scripture says, and be not drunk with the wine wherein is excess. In other words, what does that mean? Well, it means enough of it will get you drunk. Enough wine will get you drunk. It doesn't say, and be not drunk with the grape juice wherein is excess. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. So enough of it, let's understand, will get you tipsy, it'll get you drunk. Okay, now let's talk about this Jewish wedding feast, this first miracle that Jesus did. First of all, the Jewish wedding feast was quite different than our fly-by-night shotgun weddings where maybe a couple of family members show up. These things are really big. It was a lot of people there. In fact, the governor was there. Imagine having the governor at your wedding feast. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of songs, a lot of dances, a lot of, a lot of partying going on, because it's a celebration. It's a wonderful event, a wedding feast. And there was a lot of alcohol. Now, let's, let's look at the story here. Let's pick it up in John 2 and verse 3. And when they wanted, when they wanted wine, oh, let me break in here. 
when they wanted wine, now let me make a point here. This was after they had run out. If you read the whole story here in John 2 and verse 3, you'll realize they had run out of wine. And they needed some more. They had to have a wine run. You know, hey, go get some more wine. We're out of there. You know, it's going to kill us. You know, they need it more. Okay, let's continue on. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. You know, Jesus' mother knew that he was special. She knew that his son in growing up had done many miracles, little miracles in growing up, and it was just a matter of, hey, son, we need some more wine. We're out. And she says, Mama, Mother, good gracious, my time is not yet to be performing all of these miracles to identify who I am. It's not time yet. But he was obedient to his mother. He was obedient to his mother. And he did exactly what his mother told him. Now let's continue on. In John 2 and verse 5, his mother said unto him, said unto the servants, whatever he says to you, unto you, do it. Now it's sort of funny because Jesus' mother just sort of completely, you know, what Jesus told him, told his mother, it didn't even matter. He said, look, look, my time is not yet. Well, his mother just sort of glossed over that and said, look, servants, whatever he tells you to do, I want you to do it. Because he's going to make some wine right here in just a little bit. So uh, anyway, and continuing on in verse uh, 6, it says this. And there were set there six watering pots of stone after the matter of the purifi purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. <clears throat> now, I looked this up and I did the math on this. And you're looking at about 120 gallons of water that was made into wine. You know, that's a lot. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you, as a religious person, have thought of Jesus turning water into wine? I mean, think about it. Okay, you're a religious person. What would you have thought, if you'd have been there, of Jesus turning water into wine? Can you imagine some of the conversations the next day? Wow, I, I can't believe this, that he turned water into wine. I mean, 120 gallons. How much wine do you need at a wedding feast? They already had wine and it ran out. And goodness gracious, he made another 120 gallons. And children were there. Can you imagine the children? What did the children think? Oh, that ain't nothing. I mean, I, I was walking home last night and nearly got ran over by some guy on a chariot last night. He must have had too much to drink. Can you imagine? the conversation that was going on the next morning. Of all the people that, you know, sir, you know, I would have thought a lot more of Jesus if he hadn't turned that water into wine. I just can't believe he calls himself a Christian. You know it's true. You know it's true. You know the conversation the next morning was something like that. Now, to tell you the truth, Jesus probably drank a little bit of that wine. I mean, who turns water into wine and doesn't taste it? I mean, if you, if you had the ability to turn water into wine, would you taste it? Well, I think I would. I know I would. No, I guarantee you I would. So I get the, from that that Jesus probably drank a little himself. And I don't know about you, but I, I sort of, I don't want to try to outdo the Messiah here in this, this area. You know, I, I don't want to sort of try to be more righteous than my Messiah. So, okay, you're, you're a Christian and you're buying, let's say you're a Christian and you see someone in your church at the grocery store buying a carton of beer. What do you think? 
you think, oh man, that guy goes to our church and he's buying beer. Good gracious, I tell you, I thought he was a Christian. Listen, you need to get yourself educated about what the Word of God says about the subject of alcohol. And that's what we're about to do right now. Okay, let's turn to Psalms. Let's look at this verse here. Psalms 104 and verse 14. Psalms 104 and verse 14 says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herbs for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. In other words, God is, it's all about man, the good things that God has done for man. Notice verse 15, And wine that makes glad the heart and oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Boy, this is, a, this is pretty good stuff here. He makes wine that makes glad the heart. You know, I sort of like that. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I like the way it makes me feel, alcohol. You know, I know you hear people all the time, well, I like the way it tastes. Well, it tastes really great. Well, I don't believe that. But I, I do like the way it feels. You know, I'm sort of into this glad heart thing. Now again, uh, it's all about moderation. We can overdo anything. It's, over, it's all about overindulging in something. It's about moderation. Uh, we can overdo anything. We can, I mean, what's the difference? Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between a person who is drinking too much and makes a complete fool of himself or a person who eats too much and weighs 450 pounds? What is the difference? Is there any difference? It's both, it, both of it is about overindulgence. It's about the abuse of something. One, the alcoholic is destroying his liver. The other is working on a major heart attack, okay? Did you know, I, someone brought this to my attention, that the skeletal frame of we human beings matures at a certain age. I forget what the age is, but if you were to do an autopsy on a 150-pound person, and then an autopsy on a 450-pound person, the skeletal frame of the two is basically the same. So when you're talking about huge, obese people, you know, they've got this 400 and some pounds on this hanging on this skeletal frame. But it sort of blows your mind, does it not? No wonder there's problems there. No wonder. Many problems. It can cause a lot of problems. It's stressed out. The whole skeletal frame is stressed. The whole body is stressed out. So, here's what 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 10. And let's make no mistake about it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 10. It says, No drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, why? Why is that? Well, because it's an issue of overindulgence. It's an issue of abuse is why no drunkards are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But there's a difference. There's a difference between drinking in moderation and abusing anything, abusing alcohol, abusing food or whatever. There's a huge difference between the two. Now, let's consider the Bible here. Did you know that in the Bible, in the sacrificial system that God set up, that there was a drink offering in there where wine was offered in this sacrificial system? Yeah, wine. In the sacrificial system that God set up, there was such a thing as a drink offering, which included wine, not grape juice, wine. And also, there's another interesting thing, that blessings, part of the blessings that God would pour out upon a nation that was obedient to his law was, was a blessing of, you'll have plenty of wine. Let's notice that. Let's notice that in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 13. 
And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of your womb. You'll have healthy children. And the fruit of your land, you'll have all kinds of good crops. There. Your corn and your wine. Notice that. And your wine and your oil. The increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep in the land which he swore unto your fathers to give thee. Boy, that's a fascinating verse. Of course, it has to do with, you know, if you will hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, all these blessings shall come upon you. And these are part of the blessings here. Plenty of wine. Hey, I like that. I, I celebrate something called, well, it's actually God's holy days that's found in your Bible. But I celebrate at the fall time something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's a seven-day festival. And what I do in order to celebrate it, God says, I want you to set aside a tithe. 10% of your income so that you can go to the feast wherever I choose to place my name at. And so I set aside 10% of my income in order that enables me to keep this feast. You know, it's sort of like a, a vacation or a paid-for vacation. Of course, I'm setting aside my money, you know, and 10% of, of anybody's income is a big chunk, of, a fairly decent chunk of, chunk of change to spend on this spiritual uh, experience of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now let's notice what the Bible says about this Feast of Tabernacles. Let's notice this in Deuteronomy 14 verse 26. And you shall bestow that money, that money that you have set aside for the feast, for whatever your soul lusts after, for oxen, for sheep, for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatever your soul desires, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Boy, sounds to me like God knows how to have a good time. You know, it really does. Now, I'm not saying that, look, if you're, you don't like alcohol, you don't drink it, nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to get you to drink. I'm just saying that we need to be honest with the Bible about what it says on the subject of alcohol. Again, it is critical that everything be done in moderation, including eating. So, I'm talking about doing it in moderation. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says this. It's a warning about alcohol. It says this. Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Oh yeah, absolutely. How are we deceived by wine and strong drink? Well, by overindulging in them. That's how we're deceived. It's, a, you know, it's sort of an issue of control. Oh, that's a strange word, control. You mean I'm supposed to control myself? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Let's notice this verse, uh, Proverbs 31 and verse 6. It says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of a heavy heart. So you're supposed to give them a strong drink. You know, <laughs> that's sort of funny because we live in a society where there's a prescription pill for every ailment that you may have. I mean, there's a pill you can take for anxiety. There's a pill you can take for depression. Recently, I heard of a new drug called Reachamol. There's this big billboard sign I saw. It said, who needs talent when there's Reachamol? It's a, it's, a, it's a drug for a popularity disorder. People don't like you. So you, there's a pill you can take so that people, I mean, I don't, look, I wish I was kidding. I wish I was joking about this, but I'm not. It's really out there. A drug for a popularity disorder. I mean, what's wrong with a popularity disorder? I mean, goodness gracious, I don't even like my friends. And my friends don't really like me either, you know. But 
I, I sort of like it that way. I'm so, the hermit type. I don't, I don't have a lot of friends. Nothing wrong with a popularity disorder with me. I think it's a good thing. But, you know, but, but I mean, think about this. All of these prescription pills that have all kinds of side effects. The, Lord, the good Lord only knows the side effects. I mean, I know I, uh, there was an elderly woman that I know. She gave me a list of her uh, pills that she was taking. She said, look at this. And sure, she was almost proud of them. It was 18 different prescription drugs she was taking. Showed me her list. Look at this. This is what I'm taking. Yeah. Well, eventually toward the end of her life, the doctors told her, your liver's been destroyed. Get your house in order. You're going to die. And so she said, well, what caused this? Well, it's all the pre prescription medicine you've been taking. <laughs> the doctors killed her, you know. But it, it, it's, it, the side effects of these prescription drugs are really serious, you know. You just watch some of these commercials on TV about the side effects of these drugs. I mean, I'd rather, I don't know, what's worse, the side effects or the, you know, the disease that a person is, is trying to treat there. But anyway, the Bible comes along and says, look, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine to those that be of a heavy heart. Nah, yeah, okay, sounds pretty cool to me. Not a bad idea. Let's notice Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 7. It says this, it says, Go your way, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God now accepts your works. Notice this, go your way, eat your bread, eat good food, Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God and now accepts your work. Continuing on, it says, Let your garments be always white, and let your head lack no ointment. In other words, your garment being white, do the right thing, okay? Do the right thing. You know, put some cologne on, dress up, look your best, you know, smell good. Put some, put, let your head lack no ointment. Put some cologne on. Go about your life. Do the right thing. Live your life right. Continuing on in verse 9, Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 9, it says, Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your life, of your vanity, which he has given thee under the sun. All the days of your vanity, for that is your portion in this life and in your labor which you take under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. Boy, this is some good stuff here. Live, live joyfully with your high school sweetheart, your, the woman that God has blessed you with, your wife. And whatever your hand finds to do, do it with gusto. Do it with gusto. Man, I mean, you know, God wants us to enjoy life to the full. To the full. I want to read you something here that I think is pretty good. It's entitled, A Friend Like No Other. A Friend Like No Other. No, it's not about God. It's about a dog. It says, things we can learn from a dog. Never pass up the opportunity to go for a joy ride. Yeah, that's good. Allow the experience of fresh air and the wind in your face to be pure ecstasy. Yeah. When loved ones come home, always run to greet them. When it's in your best interest, practice obedience. Boy, we're sort of like a dog in that area. But obedience is always in your best interest. It really is. Let's listen, take naps and stretch before rising. Run, romp, and play daily. Eat with gusto and enthusiasm. Boy, I'm good at that. Be loyal. 
Never pretend to be something that you're not. Oh boy. You know, you never find your dog doing that, by the way. If, you want, if what you want lies buried, dig until you find it. When someone is having a bad day, be silent, sit close by, and nuzzle them gently. Thrive on attention and let people touch you. Avoid biting when a simple growl will do. Avoid, uh, on hot days, drink lots of water and lay under a shade tree. Or a hammock, maybe. When you're happy, dance around and wag your entire body. <laughs> no matter how often you're scolded, don't buy into that guilt thing and pout. And run right back and make friends. Delight in the simple joy of a long walk. Boy, that's pretty powerful. Things that we can learn from a dog. Things from we can learn from a dog. Now I know, okay, alright, you're a misery lover. All the gold in the world wouldn't make you happy. Could you love your misery? Okay, there's some people like that. I've known a lot of people who are misery lovers. Nothing will make them happy. God couldn't make them happy. But my point is, God wants us to enjoy life to the full. And I think we should. Now, I want to look at another verse here about the subject of drinking. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says this. It says this. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, don't be drunk with wine. Don't overdo it. Don't overindulge in it. You know, I'm convinced that every addiction, be it alcohol, be it food addiction, be it uh, addiction to pornography, smoking addiction, take your pick. Any addiction you want to talk about, the reason it exists is because we're missing something in our lives. What we're missing is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And we try to fill that void, because that's missing, we try to fill that void thinking these things will bring us what we need, what we lack. And so we fill our bodies with alcohol, we fill our bodies with food, we fill our, you know, we dwell on things that are evil and wrong like pornography. You know, we smoke, we do all kinds of things that are wrong, thinking it's going to fill that void in our personal life. You know, did anyone ever tell you growing up that there's a roadblock that keeps you from doing the right thing? Did anyone ever tell you growing up that you came into this world incomplete? Yeah, we all do. We're missing something when we come into this world. We all come into this world incomplete. Did anyone ever tell you there's a missing dimension that keeps you disconnected from God? And all of our efforts to do the right thing will fail unless God grants us this added dimension in our personal lives. There's something missing in your life called the Holy Spirit of God. You know, I can remember as a teenager going to a party. It was a pool party and there were people all, you know, around the pool having a good time. And I was sort of, like I said, I'm not much of a people person, so I sort of got off by myself. And of course there were people jumping in the pool. There was one guy, I think he was throwing up, had too much to drink uh, behind the little shrub there. But I sort of looked at it all and I thought to myself at that young age, probably 16, I thought, goodness gracious, there's got to be more to life than this. If this is all there is to it, I'm missing something. I really am missing something, and sure enough, I was missing something. I was missing the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I didn't receive that until later on in my life, but at least I knew something was missing. 
And like a lot of people, I tried to fill that void in the wrong way, that void of the Holy Spirit of God that was missing. I tried to fill it in the wrong way with all kinds of things that are wrong. The answer to our emptiness is very simple, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It really is. That's the answer to any addiction you may be struggling with, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I didn't bring it. I forgot to bring it with me, but I was going to offer you, and you can write to the bottom of the screen right now and order this, on how to receive the Holy Spirit of God. It's a free publication. You know, I, I don't want anything. All I want from you is your sincerity. I'm not going to... I'll send you this free of charge. I'm not going to request money from you. I'm not going to sell your name to a mailing list. Uh, I'm not going to call you. No one will call you. No person will call you wanting to talk religion or anything like that. You get this. You order it. That's all you get. What I, this, this free little publication called How to Receive the Holy Spirit of God. Because you need to know that. If you're missing it, you don't need to go through your rest of your life just assuming you've got it. You need to know how to receive it because there's a specific way to receive the Holy Spirit of God. And this little publication will tell you exactly how to go about doing it. It's a critical issue because we are incomplete, okay? We, we all come into this world. We have one thing in common. We're missing something. We, are, we come into this world incomplete. Now, let's notice one last thing that Jesus said. I think it's fascinating. In Luke 7 and verse 33, it says, For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a devil. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Notice this. Jesus was called a wine-bibber. He drank too much wine. He eat too much, they said. In other words, what I'm saying is, there are some people you cannot please. Jesus was not a man-pleaser. He didn't care about people's opinions. He really didn't. He did what was right. He did what is right. And you will find as you go through your life that if you go through life, even if you're, if, if, if you're a religious person, and you go through your life trying to appease everybody's view of what is right and what is wrong, you will be a miserable person. You will fail at appeasing people. Jesus Christ could not please the people. Because he said, look, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. And you say he has a devil. I came eating and drinking. And you call me a wine-bibber, a gluttonous, a man of friends with publicans and sinners. You know, Jesus, he's hanging around those old sinners again. Yuck. Can't believe that. There's no pleasing people, okay? What you got to please is God. Please God, do what is right. Do what is right. Enjoy your life. Live life to the full. Realize God wants you to have fun. He really does. The only reason God gives us commandments is because he wants what's best for us. The law of God tells, your, tells you what, what makes life work. Do you want your life to work? Well, sure you do. That's why God gives us his law. Because he knows it's, a, it's, it's an instruction book, a manual that says, look, this will work for you. You want to be happy? This is how you go about it. It's about what makes your life work. And I think we all want that. We all want a life that works. And that's why God has given us his law to tell us what makes life work. So again, don't ever forget, do what is right. Enjoy your life. And that's what's really in the Bible.
Is it possible for you to stop an addiction that is destroying your life? Jesus told a woman caught in the sin of adultery to go and sin no more. It's only possible if you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. Learn the step-by-step process for receiving the Spirit of God. Order your two free magazines, Why You Need the Spirit of God and Should You Be Baptized. Having the Spirit of God makes the impossible possible. Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.com.